Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. So it is entirely possible that even if Ruth has a child, it may only be a child, right? This is, does not seem to be a woman who's going to produce, you know, 12 children. And so he's thinking he may have one child that doesn't bear his name, that inherits everything he owns, and his name perish from the earth. And yet Boaz gladly pays this cost. Zeroing in on this, the thing to notice about Boaz is Boaz is the redeemer acting for the interests of others. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Humans tend to be selfish a lot of the time. We just consider our own interests and we prioritize ourselves over assisting others. But does God call for us to do that? Pastor Ricky tells us in today's lesson how we can start putting others' needs ahead of our own. When you put others' needs before your own, you become righteous in God's eyes and receive benefits in accordance with your deeds. God will reward you and provide for your necessities if you help those that are around you in need. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ruth chapter 4 as he continues his message, God's Kindness in Human Form. So I thought I would tell you of it, verse 4, and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, this other man said, I will redeem it. Now this sounds like, uh-oh, this is not Ruth, you know, three, where everything's gonna, this is the romantic story. There's some other guy that's jumping in here. But Boaz is smart, the way he sets this up. Verse five, then Boaz says, essentially, by the way, by the way, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take the right of redemption uh, yourself, or I cannot redeem it. So the Redeemer, we learn, there's been, you know, the writer who has been calling him the Redeemer, the Redeemer should have been in quotes the whole time. The so-called Redeemer turns out to not be a Redeemer at all. Now, here's initially what he thinks. He thinks, okay, I'm going to buy this land. I'm going to add it to my inheritance and my name and my uh, share of land that I give my children will be even larger and my name will be even greater as it's passed down among my descendants and I will have more to pass on to those who come after me. But Boaz says, okay, you also acquire Ruth and by the way, there's this law and you know, you probably should fulfill the spirit of that law. And he realizes something important. He realizes, uh-oh, if I marry Ruth, which, by the way, may be distasteful, you know, to begin with, the Moabite, like, ugh, some Moabite lady. I want a dead guy's Moabite wife is what he's thinking. And the first child of their union, their first son, if there is a son, he would then be legally Malon's child, Okay. It would not be his, I mean, it would be his child, but legally speaking, and that child would inherit this piece of land. And so this is what this guy's gonna have to do. He's gonna have to buy a parcel of land 
do all the maintenance and upkeep to do it. And then if he has a son, he's going to hand all of that back over to this other guy, lessening the inheritance for his other kids and his own name that he's so concerned about. Now, at first, it seems like, well, understandable, maybe. I read one commentator who said that, that what he does seems sensible in this sense, that if all he's judging by is what he senses and what he sees and what he feels and what's right in front of him, it makes sense. And yet, he misses something crucial in his calculation. There's a sharp irony here. When Boaz calls him friend, that word actually is a rhyming Hebrew word that you use in place of somebody's name. That The name used literally, translated by Dr. Ian Duguid, is Mr. So-and-so, meaning this. Dr. Duguid says this. The irony is that by seeking to protect his future legacy in this way, Mr. So-and-so ended up leaving himself nameless, missing out on having a share in the biggest legacy of all, a place in God's plan of salvation. Meaning this, the way he's looking at life is just, you know, what's right in front of him, what makes sense for him. And he's concerned, man, I don't want my name to be lessened through my descendants. I don't want to do all of this and marry some lady that I don't want to marry in order to, to help a dead guy and his family name. And like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm thinking about myself and my name and my legacy. And the irony is in the book of Ruth, he is nameless. And here's the thing that I think we all need to consider. How often do we make decisions in the same way in our life? How often do we make the sensible choice? Do good says this. We often evaluate our involvement in things like evangelism and ministries of mercy according to the same scale as Mr. So-and-so. We ask, what's in it for me? Will it fulfill me? Will I enjoy it? What will it cost me? In doing the arithmetic, we get the answers as completely wrong as he did because we have left God entirely out of the equation. That's the anti-redeemer. Second portrait, the glad redeemer. And Boaz is one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. I love this dude. Boaz is not clinical and impartial. He appears, he goes through the legal elements, but he cares deeply for Ruth and for her mother-in-law. And when he speaks of this other redeemer, when he says, if this other redeemer will redeem you, the language he uses, if this other redeemer is glad to redeem you, if he's more than willing to redeem you, then let him do it. If not, I'm gonna do it because the implication is he is glad to do it. This is not Boaz like, oh, I gotta... You know, help a dead guy, you know, and his, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's thinking this girl is a catch. She can lift 80 pound sacks of grain. She is buff, right? She's committed to God, coming from another country, striking out just like Abraham. I mean, this girl is amazing, and I can't believe I get to do this. This is his attitude, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses 
this day. What do we see in Boaz? What kind of a redeemer is he? He is a redeemer par excellence. He is, first of all, a redeemer embodying the heart of the law. Uh, one of the things the scholars point out about the book of Ruth is that Ruth's function in the canon of Scripture is a particular function. There's a dispute over where it should go, sometimes in collections of the canon, because one of the ways it functions is that it helps, it becomes a lens through which to interpret the entire Mosaic law that the, the Mosaic law had all these you know, regulations and here about the land and this about this and this about that. But more than all of that, what God's people should be getting through the Mosaic law is not just the regu- specific regulations, but the heart of the law, what the law is intending to do. And this is what you see Boaz get. He gets it. This is the heart of the law, to love his neighbor as himself, to love the sojourner, to love the widow, to love the needy. This is what he does. And he pays a significant cost. John Stott comments, in all these cases of redemption in the Old Testament law, there was a decisive and costly intervention. Somebody paid the price necessary to free property from mortgage, animals from slaughter, persons from slavery, even death. If, look, this is the amazing thing about Boaz. Boaz pays a great cost. This is where it diverges a little bit from a Hallmark movie because in a Hallmark movie, it's not usually that expensive to you know, fall in love and live happily ever after, right? Nobody usually has to pay a decisive cost. This is what Boaz does though. Think about what he's going to do. Remember, he's well-to-do, right? He's got a large field, he's got standing in the community. He's risking his standing in the community, marrying a Moabite. How's the community gonna react to that? Right, he's, he's risking his wealth. All of a sudden, he's gonna take on a wife and her, you know, her mother-in-law. I mean, that's a package deal. You know, he's gonna have to provide for them. He's gonna have to pay money to get their field because maybe there were lien or debts that it, it owed or there was some legal thing going on there. And so he's gonna lose money, take on expenses, and then the first child that he has will not legally be his and then will take all the property that he's invested all this money in. And here's the thing. This will become clear later. Ruth had been married for a number of years, it appears, prior to her husband's death and had no children. So it's entirely possible that even if Ruth has a child, it may only be a child, right? This is, does not seem to be a woman who's gonna produce you know, 12 children. And so he's thinking he may have one child that doesn't bear his name, that inherits everything he owns and his name perish from the earth. And yet Boaz gladly pays this cost. Zeroing in on this, the thing to notice about Boaz is Boaz is the redeemer acting for the interests of others. Ian Duguid comments this. Part of the message of the book of Ruth is that God's kingdom operates on a different kind of calculus, a new math in which the way to fullness runs through emptiness. Mr. So-and-so didn't do that kind of math, so the numbers didn't add up for him. He clung to what he had, and in consequence, lost something far greater, something he never even dreamed of. But Boaz was an A student at the new math. He had an open heart. He made it clear that the transaction was not about him and his own interests, but the interests of others. Do you see what Boaz says in verse 10? Where the other guy's like, ugh, if I have to perpetuate the name of the dead and you know, lose all this money, I'm, I'm not gonna do the transaction. Boaz says in verse 10, that is the reason he's doing the transaction. 
It's not a minus to him. It is a positive. He's saying, I will do this kindness. I will be kind to Ruth, to, to her mother-in-law, to, their, to her husband's family, to the name of Elimelech and his descendants. I will, that is why I'm doing this thing. Caring not for his interests, but for the interests of others. And so we see Boaz doing the work of the Redeemer, rescuing, taking you know, this woman and her mother-in-law who are vulnerable, who have little, who uh, have no protection, rescuing them from that situation, restoring them in a sense. Ruth is gonna find a husband again. Naomi will, through marriage, find a son again. And the refuturing aspect of this, that their family all of a sudden, which seemed to have no future, will have a new future because of what Boaz does. It's beautiful. And here is the wondrous thing. When Boaz does this, when he freely gives, when he shows kindness that is sacrificial, everyone sees and rejoices. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphra and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young Woman, here's the great thing that you see in Ruth chapter four. All the prayers the town prays for them come true. And the prayer points something out. It points out that God, through the history of God's people, is the one who built up the house of God's people, right? Because it says, may the Lord make this woman this. May you do this, but may the Lord act for you. It attributes the building of God's people and God's house to God. In a sense, it pulls back the curtain and all these happenstance things, all the accidental things in the book of Ruth. Ruth just happens to come on Boaz's field. Boaz happens to see her. This other guy happens to be walking by, right? All of this is not happening by happenstance, but by the Lord who is building up his house and the people see it and recognize it and ask for it. Lord, may you build up their house. Here's the point. Boaz acts selflessly as a redeemer to restore the house of another and God acts himself to secure and preserve Boaz's house. In other words, Boaz worries about others and lets God worry about him. That's the attitude of, of Boaz. Now, the application here should be that while we're gonna talk in a minute about how we're not like Boaz exactly, we, we should seek to emulate the worthy character of Boaz. We're, we should seek to show the kindness of others so the kindness of God to others selflessly without worrying about ourselves, but rather letting God take care of us. Because here's the reality. Boaz's name isn't lost. It appears on the first page of the New Testament in the line of the Messiah, right? Mr. So-and-so's name, we don't even know his name, right? Nobody knows that dude's name, but the dude who gave up his name for the good of others, we know that guy's name. Those who desire to be great in the kingdom of God must be the last of all and the servant of all. That's what Boaz shows us. All right, third portrait then, the true and better redeemer. Now, this is where we see that the character of Boaz in chapter four is pointing somewhere, right? It ends, we're gonna see in a second, Ruth four ends in a genealogy because Ruth chapter four is where it is in our Bible because the very next book is 1 Samuel, which tells the story of the rise of King David, the archetypal king of Israel. And not only that, so in a sense, Boaz points forward to David. And so as we read the story, we're like, man, I wish there was a king like Boaz. Just wait, 
right? That's the, the flow of the Old Testament. And yet, we also see in the flow of the Old Testament that David and Boaz together point to a greater king. Matthew chapter one, the first page in the New Testament contains this genealogy with Boaz, the husband of Ruth, the grandfather of King David, who then is the forefather of King Jesus, right? Boaz intentionally is pointing forward to Jesus, right? And the thing I love about Boaz is it takes place in the time of the judges, right? Which we'll talk a little bit about with the kids. It takes place in the time of the judges. It's a dark time. It's an evil time. Everybody, there's injustice and sin everywhere. And in the middle of that dark time, there is like this little island of kindness in Boaz's house, Remember, he, he's making his workers greet him. He's saying, may the Lord be with you. To the, and he's making them reply. He's saying, don't do anything unjust. He, well, I'm in my field, nobody assaults anybody. Nobody does this. We show kindness to others. He's, he's a little island of goodness, of kindness. And what you're meant to see is, man, after reading Judges, I wish there was more of this. I wish this was over the entire land of Israel. And that's the longing of the Old Testament. The longing of the Old Testament is this tension between what the mess God's people get themselves in and this glimpse that keeps appearing again and again of justice and kindness and goodness. And you're meant to think, man, how is this ever gonna get resolved? And the problem is this, that that I think in many ways, Ruth 1 shows us how we got in such a bad situation. Ruth has a hard lesson. We all wanna be Boaz. We always wanna think, I'm like Boaz here, you know? If you've gone home after the book of Ruth, you know, uh, messages and you've told your spouse, you know, I'm a little bit like Boaz, you know, I have a number of fields that I, you know, like, have you ever thought that? No. In fact, I think the place we start to identify is more with Elimelech and Naomi because their dilemma is the dilemma of God's people. God gives his people (laughs) a beautiful land, a land of promise, and God's people choose not to trust his provision and look for it elsewhere. They make the same choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden, right? God gives them the garden. Everything is good. And they're like, yeah, what's over there though? You know, I'm not gonna trust God for my provision. I want that. In fact, I want your job, God. I wanna go to a land where I can be the king. And more understandably, Elimelech and and Naomi, perhaps their motives were mixed. But I think we're meant to see there is some element there that they did not trust God to provide for them in that land, which is why they left. They went to Moab. And then Elimelech dies and Naomi makes a tragic choice. I think it is a tragic choice to stay there for 10 years. And it appears had no plans to come back to God's people and God's land of promise. It is only the death of her sons that forces her back. And so in a way, I think we're all meant to identify with Naomi and Elimelech. We all choose to go to Moab, don't we? We all choose in some area of of our lives to say, you know what, the Lord's provided this. That's not what I want. I want what's over here. Lord's provided, I want, I want what's over here. And the great thing about Ruth, it's a great picture of the messiness of this, right? Well, sometimes we're sinned against by people or sometimes hard, difficult circumstances come into our lives and take us to a difficult place. But many times like Naomi, we choose to stay there rather than return to God's people. And so there is sort of a, a holistic picture of this in the book of Ruth in which that you're not sure how much responsibility Naomi bears for their difficulty and situation but it it does seem clear that she bears some responsibility. Either she chose to go to Moab or chose to stay in Moab, and we've done the exact same thing. And as a result, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in need of redemption. 
If we look at ourselves biblically, we have lost our freedom and are in bondage to sin. We have lost our homeland with God and our home of peace and fullness. We have lost our name and our true identity. We have lost our relationship with God. We have lost, most tragically, our share in the blessings of God and in the promises of God. That's where we find ourselves, lost in Moab, and that's where Christmas comes. That's where Jesus comes. Right? Boaz is a rough outline of the kindness of God, but Jesus is the full picture. Jesus, if we could say it this way, is God's kindness taken on flesh. Galatians chapter four says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those, that word, redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus comes as an infant to grow up and live a perfect life under the law in order to redeem lawbreakers. In a sense, Jesus takes our name as lawbreakers and gives us his name as a law keeper so that we could be restored, so that we could be rescued, so that we could be restored, so that we could be refutured, in a sense. And look at the effect of it. Colossians 1:13 says this, "He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son." How does that happen? How do we go from Moab to the promised land in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins? Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, comes to us. And he does one better than Boaz. See, Ruth <laughs> chooses to come to God's people. This would be like if the book of Ruth was that Boaz goes to Moab to seek Ruth and Naomi out. That's what Jesus has done for us. We are slaves in another land. We have chained ourselves to the wrong place. We find ourselves in a kingdom of darkness, but Jesus comes. Jesus breaks our chains. Jesus restores us to God's house. And there is always a cost to this redemption. Boaz's redemption cost him some of his money, some of his reputation, some of his name, some of his inheritance. But Jesus pays with far more precious currency. Ephesians 1.7 says this, in him... We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This phrase, through his blood, we could spend a half hour on this. In the Old Testament, the life of someone was in their blood. The blood is a picture of life itself. And blood being shed is a picture of sin leading to death. There was no bloodshed prior to that. And so, so the, through his blood means this, that Jesus laid down his very life for his people to transfer them from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, from sinners to saved, right? This is what Jesus does on the cross. He trades his father's house for the outer darkness that we chose for ourselves. He trades his peace for conflict and wrath. He trades his name, in a sense, of lawkeeper and righteous for the unrighteous and the lawbreaker. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Thanks for
for being a part of Better News Radio, a ministry of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. Pastor Ricky has been focusing on the birth of Jesus this Christmas season. There was nothing ordinary about Jesus coming into the world. He wasn't even born in a decent room, but in a barn among livestock. And yet, Bethlehem was where the plan of God started, the plan to save mankind from themselves, from sin. As we enjoy all of the festivities and goodies that come with the season, remember that underneath it all, we celebrate a miracle of saving grace. For more information about this ministry or about what you've heard today, feel free to send us an email at radio at betternewsradio.com. If you prefer, you can call us at 915-562-7100. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd be happy to help you. Again, that number is 915-562-7100. You can also learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky all at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen or download for free at betternewsradio.com. Just click on the radio tab. If you don't see what you're looking for on the homepage, just click one of the navigational links to find more details about everything that you need to grow in your faith. Once more, that's betternewsradio.com. We also encourage you to look for us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for more from Pastor Ricky and Better News Radio.